When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now on Food FM, you're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. Caroline and her guests make sense of the world through food, from politics to farming, making and cooking. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Bread and Butter. I'm Caroline Kenyon and I'm absolutely delighted to have two really excellent voices in the world of British food. Dr. Sean Rickard, former chief economist of the National Farmers Union, and Liz Webster, founder of Save British Food. Welcome to you both. Hi. Hi. Great. So the reason that we three have come together is the great British tomato shortage. But I think we can see that really as a bit of canary in the mine. Does that sound like a plausible assessment of it, Liz? A predictable canary in the in the in, in the mind, to be honest. Uh, you know, it was inevitable that we we're going to have trouble with food shortages because of Brexit. But everything that's happened subsequently with COVID and the Ukraine war and the energy crisis has exacerbated the food shortage reality, and you know, considerable difficulties ahead. That makes sense. Sean, would you like to comment on that? I absolutely agree with that. Um, the truth of the matter is that um, post-Brexit, the government believed they didn't have to worry about um, food production in this country. Uh, they thought they were going to import a lot more of it, and they set about, if anything, encouraging the farming industry to slim down. And further contempt for food producers was demonstrated by their attitude to growers. The glasshouse who needed help with the heating bills a lot of industry got help, not the food producers. Then when um, food producers of things like tomatoes and other greenhouse crops more or less could not afford to carry on, uh, the government still believed they could import from Europe. But what they discovered was if there are shortages anywhere, it's here, not in Europe, because we're outside Europe. And it's a great deal easier for people in Europe to send their lower volumes of tomatoes and other um, vegetables to other partners in Europe rather than to us. So, you know, it's just a double whammy. Government policy standing on its head and uh, Brexit, of course, in the background. Yes. I mean, do you feel that there are any uh, sympathetic voices to your point of view in the government or are they all excluded on the basis of ideology? 
I rather think now that behind the scenes, um, I don't really credit many people who voted for Brexit to have much of a brain, to be honest, but then that gets me into all sorts of trouble being rude about Brexiteers. But the, I imagine behind the scenes, there is a great deal of a rethinking. I think at the time of Brexit, they thought they were going to do a great big trade deal with America, and that would send us loads of food and, you know, great big trade deal with Australia. They've done one with Australia, and of course, over the next 15 years we will see our livestock sector suffering as a result of that but really um to be frank even even the um most hardened brexiteers in the government must realize that this is not going according to plan and while they thought they could sacrifice agriculture for benefits elsewhere they're not getting benefits elsewhere and they've sacrificed agriculture we really need to we really need a, a food production strategy we just don't have that. The government say they have, but they've got nothing of the sort. They got Henry Dimbleby to um, produce a, what he called a food strategy, but it's really a food nutrition strategy, a social strategy. You know, if I give you an analogy, it's like calling for a report on boosting the car industry and then getting someone to write a report about parking outside schools or something. We have no plan to increase the amount of food produced by British farmers. And they, of course, are the center of the food chain. So if you don't um, have a plan for farmers, you effectively lack a plan for food in general. Yes, that's a, that's a very sobering assessment, Sean. And you know, it reminds me that during the COVID crisis, that the government said that it wasn't their responsibility to make sure that people were fed. It was the supermarkets, which I felt was a really terrifying absenting of responsibility. I mean, Liz, you're a farmer as well, so I'm sure you have views on that. Completely. I mean, it became, you know, I became aware of the fact that they decided to swap um, food um, as, as a public good for the environment. Um, and, you know, I'm the product of, you know, my parents were war children. And so, I'm, you know, my brain is, is wired to worrying about food security from the way I was brought up. So uh, to me, it's all absolutely terrifying. And of course, everything we predicted in terms of war and, you know, tensions and, and a pandemic have happened, plus the climate emergency. So to actually give up your food security, you know, your food production at home, and then also to cut off your supplies with your nearest neighbours at the same time, as the world is in chaos, is the most irresponsible thing for a government to do, the most irresponsible. I mean, we all know what they did with COVID. You know, my mother-in-law sadly was one of the victims when they let all the patients out of hospital into care homes without testing them. That was irresponsible. But the, the way they're dealing with food is, I think, the most irresponsible act in history. That's a pretty bleak assessment of, of where we're at. So what can listeners do? How can we apply pressure to government to understand that it's absolutely critical and we could find ourselves in the most dire situation? How can we I think, express I think that you, urgency? I think you need pressure at the moment. We've got record high um, food inflation. In fact, we are, I believe, the only country now in the G7 that has double-digit inflation. And it went up today, uh, rather surprising, well, to surprise the government and the reason it went up was food food here is costing a great deal um, more and of course that is almost directly the consequence of not paying attention 
to producing more of it ourselves. Uh, it's directly the effect. So you could say that um, you know um, the living standards of British households, which are now under enormous pressure, um, are being made significantly worse uh, by the government's abject failure to think longer term about food production in this country. I only hope that uh, when we get a change of government, uh, we will also get a change of strategy. I mean, the industry is is capable of producing a lot more. The industry, if only it was given the sort of support the government gives to um, other sectors like um, battery computers for electric cars, etc. If the industry was given that sort of support in terms of you know money for investment, uh, for skills training, for these new technologies which are, are coming to dominate the industry, uh, we could be world beaters here. But they believed they had to sacrifice all that for Brexit. Yes, it does seem to be the sacrificial lamb, if that's not uh, an inappropriate uh, analogy. I mean, one of the things that I find very striking is this tension between um, farming energy, sustainable energy, and farming for food. I Living in Lincolnshire, which produces 20% of the country's food, I just heard the other day that there's going to be a solar farm created near me, which is going to take 7,000 acres out of agricultural use. Well, that's terrifying. If that's happening all around the country, how much of our available land are we taking out of the, the food supply chain? I mean, you know, that's a really difficult one. For tenant farmers being thrown off the land for a solar farm, it's devastating. But for, for landowners who need a stable income to keep their head above water, um, then it's a lifeline because it's, it, it provides stable income. And that's really what the government are doing by not subsidizing us for food production it you know a farm is a business and you've got to make a decision you you won't carry on producing food as a charity because you can't afford to any billionaires can do that and you know as we see with Jeremy Clarkson who's a you know multimillionaire or billionaire or whatever but most of us have got to have some security and so the solar farm is a secure way of keeping your head above water and you can probably then use the rest of the land to produce some food. Um, so I think it looks worse than it is, actually. So because I don't believe the grid can cope with us all getting solar farms all over the place. Um, ultimately, what we need is huge investment to upscale our production here, which has been lacking for decades. And we, you know, we, we need a proper um, policy to ensure that we come up with a better food policy, as Sean says. And also, on top of that, our food bank, as, 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 as it was, was in Europe. And it's still coming in here, but it's reducing. And, you know, the amount of food coming from Europe is, is reducing because of the friction. We need to free up our trade with Europe as quickly as possible. If we freed up our trade with Europe tomorrow, we would still be looking at significant problems, but it would be a lot less. Every day that goes past without freeing up our trade with Europe, in the future, in the next several years, we're facing problems with food. It, it doesn't, it can't be fixed overnight. You know, to grow food takes a long time. Um, to grow a cucumber is fairly short. To grow your steaks takes a long time. If we had yeah. a food policy, it would um, need to resolve this sort of issue. Um, it is frankly madness um, to allow good quality agricultural land to be taken out of production. There's plenty of land in this country which is not of good agricultural quality. And if you had a proper plan, as it were, for the industry, uh, you could make sure that your solar farms and your wind farm, whatever, uh, did not use good quality land. And just at the moment, 
uh, you mentioned, um, you know, the farm near you. I hear all the time about large areas of good agricultural land being taken out of production. This does strike me as rather foolish. Um, of course, I'm sorry to keep repeating it. If you believe you're going to import most of your food, God knows from where in the world that's uh, at times very troubled, um, then you don't care if your best quality land comes out of production. I don't blame people who see no future in their farming turning to um, non-farming use, uses. It comes back to the government to give these people long-term confidence that their industry is going to be supported, is needed, and will be um, at the forefront of their thoughts going forward. None of that exists at the moment. All we get are stupid statements like, eat turnips if you're hungry. Two thoughts come to mind. It's so interesting hearing what you're both saying. But one is that, of course, nations that are much richer than us are gobbling up really good quality farmland. Before the war in Ukraine, the brother of a friend of mine was managing a farm in Ukraine of 200,000 hectares. And it was bought by the sovereign, um, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund. And they have been going around the world buying up vast tracts of land to ensure their food security. And I believe China has been doing something of the same. And little old UK is not in a financial position to do that. So all the more reason why we have to protect our own farmland here and, and make sure that it's food producing. But something I suppose that's a bit wider is, do you think that part of the very sort of negative and destructive attitude from government stems from a sort of disrespect for food and, and that we don't as a nation value food in the same way as other countries? Well, I, I think it's probably more to do with ideology around, you know, only really catering for us, for the, you know, the very wealthy few as above to the, as, a, as opposed to the many. And that's, that's really how they work, isn't it? The conservatives. And, and I, I think that's that really. It's, it's, it's almost, well, to use a very uncomfortable term, it's, it feels to me like a survival of the fittest test. It's against everything that we have known in our lifetimes. We were born into, and I was born into the welfare state, and and you know that's where I'm. I believe that we are best to be in. That we, you know, we we try and work to ensure that the country has more equality, and food is at the centre of of that. So we we desperately need political change, and we need opposition to on you know all opposition parties to really be on the front foot with Brexit and explaining to the people why we need to free up our trade. It doesn't mean to say that, you know, I don't think we can rejoin tomorrow, but we do, we, you know, we can work to get back in the single market and customs union pronto. If you do care about having a fair country, which is fair, as fair as possible for everyone, then that is the only policy choice that you should have at the centre of everything. Get our trade free again um, and actually make Britain secure. Um, I'm sure Sean agrees with me. Yeah, I was just reflecting. I'm a bit beyond my pay grade to talk about um, food culture and, um, you know, the way we treat it here. I say over the years, last 40 odd years I've been involved in this, I certainly think Governments have tended to um, put more emphasis on land ownership than what is produced um, on it. And, um, you know, I criticise Henry Dimbleby's um, report, but from the point of view of um, food quality and from uh, the health of our nation in terms of food, uh, we don't do very well. We certainly fall way behind countries um, like um, France. And 
I suppose at the end of the day, we do come back to this view that as far as the government's concerned, you can bring you bring food from the cheapest source in the world. That's the good thing. That's their idea of food security. And I assure you that really was their idea of food security. I was an advisor for many years and I used to listen to debates about this. And uh, they believed we were a rich country and uh, we would um, always be able to buy what we needed on world markets, albeit at the expense of some of the world's poorest uh, countries, albeit at the conditions under which this food was um, produced. And what we've seen in the last year is even that doesn't stack up. We're not that rich anymore. We're not that powerful anymore. Um, the impact of Brexit goes way beyond just damaging our economy. So if getting closer to Europe is step number one, if you had either Rishi Sunak or Keir Starmer as potentially the next prime minister here with us, what would you say were the next steps? Well, what would I tell them to do? <laughs> You're going to say, get over to Europe, all of you, and, and, and you know, sort this out. And also politically in the country, give a, a simple explanation to people. Once people understand that food is short and they're going to go hungry, you know, I'm, I can assure you that all of the barriers to thinking about Brexit are going to absolutely dissipate. And that's why it's important for the opposition to come off the fence on this now. We've got to start giving people the truth. Um, and I mean, I know speaking to journalists that, you know, I've been saying the same thing to journalists for years. And it's only now that they're realizing that my predictions were true. And they're suddenly realized for themselves because they're noticing their food bills are going up and food is getting shorter. Because all of us, the one thing we all have in common is food. None of us can live or survive without food. And there's just got to be a sense of urgency, growing up, manning up, and actually doing what is right. Um, and so in some ways, I'm more angry with the opposition than the government because, you know, this sort of fear of, oh, we better not talk about Brexit because it's such a difficult topic and so we'll sit, we'll hide on the fence is just cowardly and enough is enough. You know, we really need to call this out um, because time is running out. Time has run out, actually. Um, we're still facing considerable problems. I, I agree with Liz um, on a lot of that. I, I would ask um, you to cast your mind back to Rishi's um, uh, speech in a Coca-Cola factory in Northern Ireland, where he said how lucky Northern Ireland was. It was indeed in the world's most exciting position because it had access to the single market and to the UK. I mean, if ever there was a crushing criticism of the Brexit he advocated, uh, that was it. Keir Starmer um, is frustrating. I'll go this far with him. I think he's frightened to death that if he says uh, Europe, um, Brexit was a mistake, he will lose votes in the red wall because no one likes being told that they were um, stupid for voting for something. And I only hope that once he's elected, his idea when he talks about some vague phrase, let's get closer to Europe, which incidentally is what Russian Hunt seem to um, think they need to do, um, will actually take on a more solid form. I think we can be absolutely clear of one thing. Talking about getting closer to Europe is almost meaningless unless it means rejoining the single market.
that you'll not get anywhere near those benefits, which we as a country, the first country in history of the world to negotiate a worse trade position than you were in to start with. You couldn't make the stuff up if you tried. Um, and, you know, with enormous costs. We'll be back in Europe. The city thinks we'll be back in in five years. Some people think that's a bit ambitious. I bet within 10 years we'll be back in. Well, personally, I very much hope so. And in terms of, I know that you were you were a bit underwhelmed by the national food strategy, Sean, but I'm really interested in your idea of a sort of, if you call it a national, a, a feeding the nation strategy. Well, a food production strategy. How about a food that? production strategy. So, I mean, give... Give us the sort of top line ideas there. Top line ideas are this, really. The world is going to need a great deal more food in the future. We are quite capable of producing um, a lot more. Moreover, I believe it to be the case that British um, agriculture has a high reputation in the world for what comes under the heading of um, ethical farming, animal welfare, uh, sustainability and um, safety. Now, here's the point. Of course, poor people, I, I don't I understand, they, they don't really care so much about the quality of their food because they can hardly afford it. But we have in this country and across Europe and indeed across the world a growing middle class. There's going to be 5 billion middle class consumers in the world uh, by 2030, according to um, the experts. These people do, to a greater extent, care about the quality of their food. We could turn the food industry in this country into a really um, competitive driving force if we recognised that competition, global competition, resides increasingly at the farming stage in the food chain. It's at the farming stage where these credence attributes, as they're called, um, are delivered and that people um, increasingly want, of course, on top of affordability and um, uh, taste, etc. We're very good at it. And the more competitive we become, the more difficult it is for people to import in here and the greater the opportunities for us um, exporting elsewhere. It takes a very different attitude from government to deliver that. Instead of encouraging people to plant trees or to go out of farming or to uh, put solar panels on their land or God knows what else, uh, you would fall over yourself to make sure farmers had access a, to the technologies that are going to help them deliver sustainable food. There is no conflict between producing affordable food and a more sustainable, if you like, ethical um, farming. So there's just no conflict at all. It all depends on, on science. And uh, secondly, what we need, people have talked about this for the last 30 years, and it hasn't really happened. They just talk about it. We need, need to make a reality of what happens in other industries. We need much closer cooperation, collaboration between farmers and their food processing customers. They really need to get together. Food processors need to work out that they really need farmers um, with their qualities. And farmers need to work out that they really need to get near to um, food processors or manufacturers to make sure they are contributing towards producing those high quality um, products that I think are world beaters in this country, if only uh, we put our mind to it. Well, that's a wonderful hurrah for us to sort of start drawing our conversation to a close. And actually something that you've just made me think, Sean, is that really the hospitality industry in this country, which has been such a success story and employs three million people, that they and and farmers should be much more closely allied in applying pressure to government. For a lot, of, even what the um, 
hospitality, you know, a lot of what the so-called food service sector sells, it still goes through a process of so whether it goes uh, into alcohol or whether it goes into a, a pie or whatever. Uh, yeah. It's really the first two stages very important. And of course, um, you, you spoke a little earlier about culture. You know, I think I, I know it's a little bit of a setback at the moment, uh, but we um, are increasingly as a country uh, wanting to eat out. Uh, we're seeing uh, food as part of a sort of wider social um, entertainment world, and that's what advanced countries um, tend to do anyway. And there's absolutely no reason why that should in any way interfere with a production food production strategy uh, for this country. Uh, I'm sure that the hospitality sector would welcome um, such a strategy. Yeah, I mean, I think having more food, food provenance, which is reliable, is a really good move forward. For farmers, you work, in, you know, you're busy all of the time and you work in isolation. And we've only really had Red Tractor, which has been very driven by supermarkets. And what we really need is, yes, a better way of connecting with uh, suppliers to sort of say, and, and I, we know that consumers like it, you know, our beef comes from Manor Farm in, in Wiltshire, whatever, you know, these things are good selling points and, and it is about getting better at that. But the supermarkets have had such a dominance and because the food has been safe and it means that, I mean, some friends of ours have got a, an organic, far, a premium organic farm shop. And funnily enough, in the past, you know, a lot of people would go to the supermarket because it was still, you know, pretty much food was safe and, 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 the, you know, the same sort of thing. Whereas now, as the, sa- the more unsafe food and the lower standard food comes in, then that quality farm shop becomes able to charge a premium. In many ways, it's similar to what's happened in the clothing industry. You know, when you see the premium products in the clothing industry charge an absolute fortune and everybody else has, you know, the, the synthetic um, fiber sort of lower standard quality food. And, and I think that's, that's really where, where I feel Brexit is taking us. So instead of us all having, as, you know, good safe food, there is food inequality arriving. And I just hope that we can stop that and, and go back to everybody, you know, feeling safe that anywhere you go to eat, the food is going to be safe. <laughs> so something we haven't spoken about is food safety, because we're yeah. not, we don't have checks at the border. Yeah, I've got to say this. I think Red Tractor does farmers a, a disservice. Liz has just spoken about, you know, supermarkets love to say my meat comes from this farm or whatever. You know, they're using um, using Red Tractor to get farmers uh, to raise standards without rewarding them for it. That's the ridiculous thing here. People want these sort of things like to be able to see cows grazing, um, high standards. It should go directly back to negotiations between food processors, supermarkets and farmers Say this is the system we want. You know, we will pay you for doing it, not get some pseudo organization to go around with their clipboards annoying farmers and pushing everyone up so they know when it's a serious point. You're asking farmers to fund the benefits that are going to um, supermarkets, etc. You know, there's no question that food is safely produced in this country compared to the rest of the world. You know, there's no question that farmers here are amongst the best in the world. Absolutely no question about it. Of course, and um, we should just um, stop pretending that we have to, um, you know, we can't leave a little more to the farmers and their customers to work on 
producing the sort of variety and quality that people want. Well said. Well said. Well, I think that is a very trenchant note on which we will sadly have to finish our conversation, but I feel we ought to regroup. I hope that uh, perhaps Professor Chris Elliott from Queen's University Belfast can join us because it would be really interesting to explore issues of food security with the three of you because that's something we've really barely touched upon we will regard this as part one of our conversation thank you both so much take care bye bye you're listening to bread and butter with caroline kenyon to find out more about food fm and our content go to foodfmradio.com 